0: I got a letter from uh, Dr. Browning. He's a psychologist. Uh, he's been around Calvary for a long, long time, and he wrote me yesterday. It was kind of a neat letter because we're having Chuck's little uh, memorial, and uh, it's been just crazy. My brain's totally fried. But uh, one of the things about that, is he said, you know, we need to really be careful that we don't worship the man, You that we worship God, what He does through a person, and the way He uses a person. And the evidence is because Jesus gets uplifted. I think that's real important, you guys. Not to keep your eyes and idolize anybody. And we've been talking about that. I'm meeting with uh, Don McClure, Greg Laurie, and all those guys on Thursday. uh, And their wives, we're going to be praying with Sharon. And they just decided to get together and pray at uh, Don McClure's house. And so we've been friends for such a long time, you know. And so they're really concerned. And, you know, we we just know that uh, the Lord is doing a tremendous work. And for us, for Sharon and myself, you know, we, we decided the day we started ministry that we decided we're going to do it until the day we die. We were called, and we know our calling, and we've never had a doubt about our calling, ever. You know, we've been discouraged, yes. We've been, you know, we've been to the fire so many times, but, you know, going to the fire makes you stronger to stand in the truth that the Word of God is real. That you don't really have to, you know, mistrust the word of God. But that God, whatever he says, he's going to complete it. And it's so cool. We met with our friend doctors last night. We had dinner with them. Ryan was with us. And uh, we were talking to them. They were kind of talking with us. They're going to do a full scan of her body now. Because she's had breast cancer for five years. They removed one of her breasts already. And then she had two spots in her liver, which they're really concerned about. And they're concerned about the cancer going to her brain and going all over her body. So that's what they're checking right now for. So we're praying and seeing. We already talked about everything. You know, it's kind of weird how the Lord does things. You know, for the last Dale knows I've talked to him about it. For the last two years, the Lord has kind of kind of shared with us, you know, to get everything ready, whatever it is, and to you know, kind of clean out our house and just kind of get my my kids and my grandkids ready for whatever God's going to do because we want to see them serve the Lord. You know, we don't want this to be in vain. And you should think about it yourselves. own selves. You know, there's only one life to live and it'll soon be passed and the only thing will last is what you do for Christ, period. Chuck, brainwash me with that. You know, and it's so cool to have the background uh, with all of us that got saved in the Jesus People movement because we don't idolize the Jesus People movement, but we know that God used it in a tremendous way. You know, and I thought about how he saved... Those people that he wanted to use, like when we responded to the ministry, you know, I mean, think about Pastor Chuck. Man, we're sitting there among hundreds of people, and he points out Greg uh, Laurie, Damacuro, all of us. He got us together. He makes us his board, and then we go to the Shepherd School, and then we didn't know we were going to be forty-one. Just with Chuck, you know, that's the things happen. You don't push your way in. You wait upon the Lord. He opens the doors, and then you move yourself through. But as I was reading about David this morning, I thought about each one of us individually. Because turn to 1 Samuel 25, verses 1 through 44, long chapter. You know, here in this chapter, we have three great figures. Samuel, David, and Abigail. Three great people. And they typify the law, they typify Christ, and they typify true Israel. And what's really cool about that is that now we're going to see some of David's weaknesses. You have weaknesses? How about failures? Failures that we all possess. You know, when you, when you look at your life, and uh, you come to be my age, you can look backwards, you know, you can look in front of you, and you don't know how long behind you. You got all these years to look back. You know, and when you look back, you look at all your weaknesses, you look at all your failures. And in the present time, you know also that there are weaknesses and there are failures in your life. And you really want to make sure of one thing that you're pleasing to the Lord. That's what counts. Pleasing to the Lord. You know, if you're pleasing to the Lord, you'll be pleasing to other people. Because you'll have the heart of God. And what's really cool about having the heart of God, that he prepares you all of your life for whatever he intended to do until the end of your life. Which is so cool. Because that was my desire, with Sharon and I, when we started ministry, that uh, we just really wanted to serve the Lord. I mean, she didn't believe me, but she finally believed when she saw that I was totally sold out to the Lord. And then to watch my kids, to watch Ryan, you know, what God has done in his life, and now Raul Jr. And Shane, you know, Shane's always been, you know, kind of the, a good person, you know, in our, in our family. He's never even back at so one time. He's always served the Lord. And then looking at my grandbabies and then, you know, looking at what God's doing right now with my boys and, and the way, you know, they've gotten closer to their mom in the last couple of months. Because, you know, we don't, we really don't know what's going to happen. We know one thing for sure is that not only God's in control, but no matter what happens, we will continue to serve the Lord. And we will become stronger and stronger in the Lord. And something that uh, Dr. Brown has said which was really pretty uh, to, I mean important to me, is that we need to be careful again that we don't we don't put the person that has died in a position of worship. you know, but that we come to that place in our lives where we thank God for what he's done, how God used that person, how God used you, how God's using you right now. and when God uses you, what happens is, you know, we get excited because we really see the hand of God upon each one of our lives. It's not just one person. Everyone in here, whether you're a mystery or not, doesn't really matter. God has a purpose for your life. And God has a way that you should walk and respond to the Lord. And at the same time, be open whenever he says to stop or to move. I, I, and I don't know if you guys have read uh, uh, John McCarthy's article. Anybody here read it? Okay. Uh, the article that he wrote, it's, uh, I mean, he's spoken here many times. I spoke in his church and Greg Laurie and Danny Bond, we all spoke at his church many years ago. And he was, always, he's an adventurer of faith. And he wrote an article, and Larry can tell a little more about it, but I read the article, and he really put on Calvary Chapel, uh, the movement of Calvary Chapel. And he really went over the line this time. You'll, you'll hear about it. He went over the line. Because we thought that he was in the same camp, you know, we thought he was our friend. And now because Chuck has died, he just went and exposed everything, which is not true. You know, I mean, he doesn't see the Jesus people movement as a as movement of God. And yet on the, on the venture of faith, he contradicts himself. You know, he contradicts himself. And I've known John for a long, long time. You know, and it's been incredible to see that it's so sad that now he comes almost to the end of his life and he attacks Calvary Chapel. And he he doesn't like, you know, charismatic people. That's the bottom line. He doesn't like charismatic people. But I can remember that even though we were charismatic in Calvary Chapel, he accepted us. He accepted us. And then something happened. Something happened. He spoke in a big convention. What's that? Yeah, it's last week he spoke in a big convention. And so you guys, keep your eyes open, keep your ears open, you know. Don't defend yourselves, you know what, let people say what they want to say, who cares, you know. You know, they shall know them by their fruit, Jesus said. And I think that's something that, like David. You know, when we read about David here, David has a lot of weaknesses and failures in his life. When you think of every person like Saul, you know, something I learned about in this chapter is so important because I read a devotion by Samuel and Saul. And what's incredible, no, Samson, excuse me, Samson. And even though Samson was strong and he was a playboy, you know, and and the Spirit of God came upon him, you know, and then he got taken down and the Spirit of God came upon him again, you know, Samuel was greater than him. Samuel was greater than him. Because Samuel was totally sold out to the Lord without any compromise any compromise think of how many within the church and even david compromised think of how many in the church are fully compromising today you know in the way they live in the way they teach in the way they study you know i mean i probably have been a brainwatch for 41 years but i don't think i'm going to change my model that i've learned I think is the best model that I ever saw in the church. And that is teaching the Word of God. Studying the Word of God. You know, preaching to the non-believer. Which is so cool because then you can see the hand of God working in us and through our lives which we need to see especially in these last days. And David here just kind of spoke to my own heart because in his weaknesses we become strong. That's what the scripture says. We become strong. And then we learn also that men... Not only are not perfect, including men of God, men that are lifted up. Be careful of lifting any, uh, anybody. I lift up Jesus, man. He's the only one to be lifted up. Men will fail you. You'll get discouraged. Some people have even walked away from God because of a person. And they're not even God. Think about that. Such men, many men have that influence on people. And they become idols to them. And yet, I can tell you, and I want to mention, I know so many in the last 41 years, they were on the radar, they were lifted up in conferences, man, all over the world, and where are they today? They fell. Pride. Money. Power. They took them out of the ministry completely and fully, man, and some of them are selling cars. Think about that. What could happen to anybody that doesn't watch themselves? Every day, you've got to examine your heart. Why why do you get up? You know, why are you ministering? Why are you in the ministry? You know, why do you feel that God called you? What is the calling in your life? Make sure you know your calling your life. Like David, David knew. I mean, remember David and Saul? David was always not wanting to touch the Lord's anointed. We need to learn from that. Never to touch God's anointed. Even though he had opportunities to kill him, we've read it in 1 Samuel. Never touched him. Never touched, cut his garment, you know, and showed him his garment. But that was about it. He never, ever touched him because he said every time, he's the Lord's anointed. And if David didn't touch a man that walked in the flesh and disappointed God and God judged, then how can we judge anybody else? We can't do that. It's an impossibility, you guys, to do that. And then I wrote down a couple of things here, you know. We have to be careful that we don't uplift any man or any woman that God is using or anybody else. Because you'll come to failure. To Come to failure. Now, David, here, you know, how many times you and I take matters into our own hands? <laughs> you know, I like to do that. You know, I'm real good at that. Taking circumstances, situations under my own hands. But at the same time, yet God's love for him, for you, for me, was incredible. Incredible love that God had for everyone that fails. Imagine that. Everybody that fails, God is so in love with him, and He just loves us so much. And then uh, let's begin with verse 1. As we see now, David loses his friend Samuel. He says, and then Samuel died, and the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him and buried him. Notice, at, let me turn my picture. He says, at his home in Ramah, and David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. You know, what what come by here in verse 1 is that, again, when Samuel dies, notice that they gathered together and they lamented for him. They didn't worship him. They lamented as we lamented for Chuck, as I lamented for anybody, for Dale's son when he died. We lament. And when we lament, we're showing our real feelings. And at the same time, we're really demonstrating that our love for that person was tremendous. Tremendous. They became, you know, a help in our lives. Whatever, you know, however you were affected. And David was tremendously affected by, by, by Samuel here because he goes back and remembers everything that he did. And I found something interesting again. Even though Samuel was a great, you know, he was not a great prophet of God, that his two kids had problems with the Lord. You know, problems with the Lord. And they had a great model. Sometimes we have a great model, but it seems that Satan comes along and he seals the hearts of our children and our grandchildren, which is really important that we need to notice. Notice he lamented for, how about lamenting for our children, lamenting for our grandchildren, lamenting for the church, lamenting for each person that doesn't know Christ. Lamenting before the Lord that our heart is broken because they're not saving because look what's happening like with MacArthur. You know? To lament of how many millions he's going to hurt. Hurt. You know, I, I wonder if he got puffed up because he's he's the only one that has sold 10 million, 10 million tapes or 10 million CDs because of his teaching. And yet he puts on chapter 12, 13, and 14 of the book of First Corinthians. Think about that. The gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know, that's something that we need not only to be careful with, we need to just walk a straight line. And not talking about people, because when you talk about people, that means people are going to talk about you. You know? Seriously. You have to really be careful. He says, whatever is spoken in secret, they get on top of the roof of whatever they, do, they shout it. They shout it. So we have to really be careful with that. He goes on in verse 2. And he says, now there was a man in Moam whose business was in Carmel. And of course, Carmel is a little village about 10 miles west of the, of Hebron. And the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and a 1,000 goats. And he was shearing his sheep with Carmel. So it was like Abraham, you know. I mean, he was rich. I mean, in that, in that culture, he had a lot of money, you know, because all the flocks that he had and then look what he says. And the name of that man was Nabal. Nabal. I always think of my Nabal when I think about him. <laughs> Nabal. You know why? He was a fool. <laughs> he was a fool, you guys. And it's amazing that Nabal here not only has a beautiful wife, but they have Abigail. Abigail. And, and, and we see that not only God has gift of him, gifted him i mean financially he is gifted he's actually a gifted by a wife god gave him and a lot of times in leadership we see a lot of the gifts and how god gives us with our wives our children whatever it is and a lot of times how many times we're all guilty of this how many times we don't appreciate them you know they're like in our way get out of my way well that's pride you're looking for self-service. You're looking for self-glory. You know the Bible says, and I've learned this, and I fail in this, and my wife's a helpmeet. I helpmeet, and many, many times I don't look at her as my helpmeet. I look at her like she's in front of me, getting in my way what I want to do. And we all learn from that. We all learn from that. And so important for us, not only to study the Scripture, to look at the Scriptures, that God has a work for each one of us individual. We're individual people. Individual people. I, I know a lot of wives, men that, that destroy their husbands. A lot of husbands destroy their wives. I mean, we've had in Calvary Chapel in West Covina... And through the ministry here, where wives have infected their husband, when God has called them, and instead of their husband making a stand for God, they get pulled by their wives and they get destroyed. Totally destroyed. It happens all the time. All the time. So we have to be careful of that. Be careful who you're listening to. Make sure your first priority is God. And God will lead you, and He'll speak to you. And, and you know what's so cool? When God speaks to me, He's already spoken to my wife. And then we become one. But if your wife's going in this direction and you're going in this direction, you have a splinter marriage. And it's not going to work. It's not going to work, you guys. It will never work. So I think it's something to really think about, you guys. And, and at the same time, make sure that your wife is humble, that your wife is doing what God called her to do, and that she doesn't get in the way of what God is intending to do in your life. And that we as husbands, you know, because of the weaker vessel, how many times, you know, just to please her, we'll, you know, we'll agree with her when she's wrong. Be careful of that. You've got to be careful with that. God set you up as a as the leader of your home. You're the leader of your home. And as a true leader of your home, your wife will submit, your children will submit, and they will see the hand of God in your lives. And if you can't see the hand of God in your life, then how can they trust you if God can't trust you? You know, that's important. Again, verse 2, he says, and Now there was that man, Amoam, whose name was, he says, was business in Carmel. This man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep, 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his uh, sheep in Carmel. The name of that man was Nabal, which means foolish. He says, And the name of his wife was Abigail, whose father is Joy whose father is Joy, was her name. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance, which means she was smarter than Abel. And, and let, me, let me stop for a second here, you guys. Let me say something real important. There's a lot of times that your wife will be smarter than you. Seriously. And you can't get intimidated by that. Thank God that she is to keep you out of trouble. Seriously, to keep you out of trouble, you guys, because, you know, that, that's what's so cool about the Lord, the way he puts things together, the way he binds marriages, you know, where you start thinking, well, is this of God or not? Well, if it wasn't of God, you wouldn't be together. You got to remember that the problem comes is when you separate and you break that bond and you divorce. That's when the problem comes because, like I said, you put two by fours together, you glue them together, and then you try to separate them. And even though you have the right to do that, you separate what happens The splinters remain forever. And that means all your problems. You take them with you to the next marriage. If you don't take care of them you continue to them. That's why it's important for us to be in the grace of God and to not only do that but to keep our eyes on the Lord. Our eyes and be the spiritual leader of your home. He says again, notice he's beautiful. But the man was harsh, evil in his doings. And he was in the house of Caleb. So you see, here's a beautiful woman. She's, I mean, smart. She's amazing. And this, you have a fool here that is destroying his house. People don't even get along with because he thinks he's better than everybody else. Verse 4. And when David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, So here we have David, notice every right to expect what? A little help. He's going to ask him, hey, Nabal, can you help us? I got all these men, they're thirsty, they're hungry, can you be kind to us? So watch what he does. And David sent ten young men. And David said to the young men, go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. Notice, in my name. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, peace be unto you, peace to your house and peace to you north to all that you have three times he uses the word shalom peace 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 he came in peace he loved peace and then he says now i have heard that you have shepherds your shepherds were with us and we did not hurt them nor was there anything missing from them all the while they were in carmel As your young men, and they will tell you, therefore let my young men uh, find favor in your eyes. If we come on the feast day, please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son David. And so when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David and waited. Here's something else. When somebody talks to you, don't change the story. Don't change the story. David said something to go tell these guys. And I mean, they could have it up. They could have changed it. No, you got to, whatever you've been told, you got to say the same thing. Very important. Otherwise, you cause problems. Misunderstandings that are real important in the ministry and in your own personal life. Then he says this. Then Nabal answered David's servants and said, who is David? Notice the pride in him. Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away each one from his master. He's saying, well, David's a rebel. David's not David's not under submission. David just wants to do his own thing. And that was not true of this. This was not true. I mean, he calls him here. He know, Nabal the fool. And David yet was God's anointed. Verse 11, he says, Shall I, Nabal, then take my bread? my water, my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men when I do not know where they are from. I mean, he was lying. He knew who they were. He knew who David was. But I think that the pride got to him where he was not only self-identifying himself. He said, you know, I'm going to be by myself. I don't want nobody around me. It talks about covetousness. It talks about so many things here where we deny the truth and we just want to be fools. And we end up being fools because you're putting down your family at the same time too. He says, 12. So David's young men turned on their heels and went back and they came and told David all these words. And then David said to his men, every man get your, and your your sword, get your swords. So that every man got their swords. David also got his own sword and about 400 men, notice, are going with him. And 200 stayed with the supply. So so now David, here's the here's point, you guys. What is David doing? Try to take matters into his own hands. Be careful. Be careful. That will get you in trouble. Trying to take matters into your own hands. We all done that. I've done that. Shoot, I've done it so many times, man. At, at one time, uh, you know, I mean, I had an assistant pastor that, stole, that not only left us, he, he committed adultery with one of our women in the ministry and then he uh, actually left, you know, and, and he, uh, he actually married my cousin and then put my cousin in a psych war, okay, when well, she wasn't crazy, but he was working with this other woman that affected Calvary Chapel and messed up Calvary, all the Calvary Chapels. He was working in a, in a, in a psychological hospital And everybody was kind of moving towards psychology. And then Chuck got up and said, you know what? Be careful of this. And she was a good friend of Chuck. So when he went to work for her, he took this woman and took her to work with him. Okay. And then, you know, he started just doing a lot of crazy things. A lot of crazy things. And he hurt our family. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to get rid of him. I'm serious. I went to Chuck. Because my heart was, I mean, my heart, I mean, was there, you guys. You know, I thought, man, you know what? I need to get rid of this guy. Look what he's done to our family. And you know what's amazing is how the Lord, you know, stands by us. And there was a second time Dale knows when I went to Chuck. And Chuck just really ministered to me every time. I, I had that weakness in my life. You know, that I have to really be careful what I say or what I do. Because then I'll be sorry. But you know what? It's, it's been the Lord's grace. And, and Chuck has helped me so much, so much in that part of my life. Dale, you know, all these guys that know me from the past, you know, they've helped me tremendously. And, and, you know, that's why we're here, because we love the Lord and because we want to serve the Lord. And you have to look at your life. Do you want to get put on the shelf? You know, um, do you? I mean, what are you going to collect on the shelf? Nothing but dust. Or do you want to be used Every single day of your life. Every single day of your life. Nabal could have been used. Helping God's people. Helping David and his men to strengthen them. Probably God would have have doubled his sheep. Or more. And how many times we lose on the blessing of God because of our selfishness and our pride. Our pride that is before us when God had this open door for us and we close the door. We close the door in our own personal lives. It's so sad that it happens. But then he goes on. Again in verse 14 he says, And now one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet your master or your husband. And he reviled them. But the men were very good to us. And we were not hurt nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them when we were in the fields. Notice that in the fields they were a wall to us both by night and day. All the time we were with them keeping the sheep. And now therefore know and consider what you will do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his household, for he is such a a a scandal. Notice, and he says, "What that one cannot speak to him. So David's on his way. He's coming. He's going to kill this guy. He says, but then Abigail, his wife, made haste and took 200 loaves of bread and two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five sheets of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, 200 cakes of figs, and loaded them on the donkey. So she brought for the whole army to feed them. And what was she doing? She wanted to have peace. As a wife, she did not want her husband to be slaughtered. She became an intercessor between David and her husband. Stood before him. It's so cool how God raised her up to not only David would have sinned, but to keep David from sinning. Think of the people God sends to you. To keep you from sinning. To keep you from doing something stupid. Something stupid that you'll regret the rest of your lives, you guys. Regret the rest of your lives. You need to really be careful. He goes on to say, verse 19, And she said to her servants, Go on before me, see, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. So it was, as she, well, again, this is another point. Sometimes wives can't tell their husbands because they're fools. So it was, as as she roared on the donkey, that she went down under cover of the hill and there were there was David and his men coming down toward her and she met them so she comes up to David and now David said had said surely in vain i have protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness he protected him and he said i don't even know him think about that i mean how many times have you known people that maybe you know you've stayed behind but they prosper and then they get so puffed up they say who is that? I don't know who they are. You know? Think about it. There are people like that. Once they get to a place of preeminence, you know what? Something happens to them. It's very hard to stay humble, you guys. Very hard to stay humble. Because the opportunities, man, that are there for you, the opportunities that people the door, God opens the doors with, I mean, if I told you guys the doors that got opened for me in the last four years, you wouldn't believe me. You wouldn't believe me. I was with Prime Minister Begin. I was with the King of Tonga. I've been all over the world. And with Chuck, Chuck to me everywhere. With the uh, Not the Prime Minister, but the General of Lebanon. We got to meet with him before he died. Before he died, Chuck took me. Chuck took me to get to Prime Minister Begin. And you see, it's real important because once you start going to these places or let's say something takes off in your ministry, you start getting a big ministry, pretty soon people are, you know, you're becoming unapproachable. Nobody can touch you because now you're somebody else. Be careful about you guys. Be careful. When that started happening, you know, to me, I I removed myself from all those people (laughs) because that was not me. That was not me, man. That's never been me. And I mean, I was with the best of the best, you guys. The best of the best. And you know what? God spoke to my heart. And and they're still my friends. I still love them. But I couldn't do what they were doing. Number one, I don't like to dress up, and they have to dress up all the time. (laughs) So, that was bad for me. (laughs) And so, be careful of that. And then verse 22. He says, may God do so. Well, let me, 21. And now David says, surely in vain I have protected all that his fellow had in the wilderness so that nothing was missed in all that belongs to him. And he he says, and he has repaid me evil for good. May God do so and more also to the enemies of David. If I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. So he is going to kill them. He is mad. Verse 23 And so when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from her donkey, fell on her face before David, and bowed down to the ground. Isn't that cool? The way she comes in humility. In humility. Think of David as a type of Christ. (laughs) What do we do? We bow before the Lord, you guys. We humble ourselves before the Lord. Remember when Solomon and Gomorrah, what did Abraham do? He interceded. Remember? Remember? He interceded. I mean, what, what's going to happen if we, the church, do not continue to pray for this world, which this world's becoming so corrupt? What's going to happen to these children, these teenagers, in the next generation, if the Lord tarries when they become atheists and they don't have the Word of God thrown out to them? We can't give up. Man, we are in the best place a church could ever be to get on our knees and our faces so God can use our lives. Seriously. Serious, don't stand. Get on your face before God. Stand in your face and see what God's going to say to you. Spend time more in prayer and in the Word than anything else you do. Sometimes as, as leaders, we get caught up because we get a lot of invitations. I've talked to a lot of young pastors about this. You know, you get a lot of invitations. You just start to prosper. You start to become known. And then all of a sudden, man, you get trapped. And now you're neglecting your church. That God gave to you, your people. You're more interested in these people than what God's given to you here. We all learn that. I've learned that. I, when I was young, I used to go here, go there, everywhere. But now I pray about it and say, "Okay, Lord, is this beneficial?" And I get a lot of a lot of invitations, you guys, a lot of invitations. But I don't take every invitation. Dale knows that. He even tells me a lot of times, "Hey, slow down," you know, because I mean, I mean, my sketch is pretty, I mean, pretty amazing right now, you know. Like tonight I have a Bible study in St. Clementine tomorrow I gotta to teach here. You know, and I've always got something going on. But you know what? That's that's why I feel good. I mean, that's that's my mission God gave it to me. I'm not completely I love it. I love where God's put in me, you know. I feel like you know what, I thank God for my health, that I'm able to like chuck, you know, I thought was completely he was never sick. I've never been sick except for my seizures, that's it. You know, but at the same time, even if that happens, you know, what do you want God to do for you? Or what do you want to do for God? You know, you got to be open. And this is another problem. That when God speaks, many of us do not hear what he says. So what do we do? Check this out. We miss opportunities. We miss opportunities. Opportunities that God wanted to give to you and yet you close the door. Because you're not willing to do it. Not willing to do it. Well, I don't have the finances. Well, who cares? God, who's the guy that gets finances? God. When we when we started ministry, guys, and this is no lie, I hitchhiked to church. I hitchhiked to church every Sunday, every Wednesday. We only had one car, and I had three boys, and my wife needed the car. I had a van, a hippie van. Remember the red one? <laughs> yeah, we secure all these guys in the van. But I mean, that was the way I started. You know, I, I am so happy that I started like that. I made a lot of money, and then God took it all away from me. Where people, when these guys were starting the ministry, they would bring groceries to my door. You didn't think that's humility? I mean, that's think as humbleness to take somebody that comes to your door, man, and gives you the groceries when you you're used to supporting yourself. I learned a lot about ministry, you guys. I was I wasn't looking for a big old ministry. I had my confidence too. I was happy with my what I was doing. I didn't want to be a pastor. And as God began to show me and to teach me and never took a salary, man, until we had about 500 people. That's what Chuck has always taught us. Why? Because the people are first, not you. The people are first, not you. And this is real important today in the ministry. As a matter of fact, Chuck and I, I told him we just talked about it before he died. But there's a lot of people that are, you know, the building, yes, but I mean their salary first in the building and then the people. It doesn't work that way, you guys. You know, if, if I had to get a secular job, get a secular job. You will be appreciated more by the people and God will honor you and God will bless you. Bless you. Because from our Kung Fu studio, we went to the Fox Theater. From the Fox Theater, we went to West Covina. From West Covina, we went here. And every time it kept growing and growing until we moved here. We lost 4,000 people. And we thought, man, we made a mistake. I was in seminary at Fuller, and they were saying, you are stupid. Don't go there. Don't go to Diamond Bar. It is the worst place in the world. And you know what, Greg, Laura, and Chuck, and I came here. We were looking at the building, and uh, Rich from the Internet, he's a friend of ours, he told us about the building, so we came to see it. They wanted $22 million for the building. Shoot, our, uh, you know, Calvary Chapel, West Korea was worth $1.4 million. We didn't have that kind of money on the bank. But God spoke to me. Spoke. Greg thought I was crazy. I mean, not Chuck. Chuck, man, he said, you know what? Awesome. And I took this leap of faith. We came here around the building and we prayed every single day for this building. We prayed. And look what God has done in the last now 21 years. 21 years. Imagine if I were to listened to those professors or listened to another person that said, don't go there. But as I took that leap of faith, with Dale, all of us, what happened? God honored it. And out of the 1,000 people that came here, we couldn't even get into the building. We bought the building. They wouldn't give us permits. We had to sit outside in chairs in one year and never rained. Never rained. And when we went to the city, they didn't want to give us permits. We took how many people? About a thousand? A thousand people to the city. Man, they got overwhelmed and they gave us our permits. You know? But they locked us in on that property on that side, 12 acres that we couldn't build there. It was commercial. So we paid taxes on that. Until you know the story, until this guy said, we know Jewish guys came to me. We shook hands, they bought our property. They gave me $15 million. We paid on our debt, you know, and some other people in this body here helped us with a lot of money. And God blessed us with it, man. And you know what? It was so cool to be in a place where we know that it's God, man. God speaks to people. God speaks to people. And God, you know, as God speaks to those people, those people are really men and women of God because they're very giving people. Very giving people. Are you a giver or a taker? Something important. Are you a giver or you always want to take? So important for all of us, you guys, as leaders and, you know, being in the ministry, you guys. We need to be careful. Verse 25, he says, please, let not my Lord regard. So here he's recognizing her. He says, I recognize him. This is crowned on For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name. Folly is with him. But I, your main servant. Notice his wife why said, did not see the young man and my Lord whom you said. She even talked about her husband. And now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back, from coming to bloodshed, from damaging you yourself with your own hands. Notice what she said. Since the Lord has held you. The Lord, he recognizes that. Let your enemies and those who seek harm from my Lord be as navel. He says, Now this present which your maiden servant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men that must follow my Lord. Notice a beautiful man. Abigail's speech here. Amazing, remarkable insight. He says, please forgive the trespass of your main servant. Notice the humility she has. Blamelessness. For the Lord will certainly make for my Lord David an enduring house because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord. Is that heavy? She's kind of prophesying, you know, David was, he was going to become what? For the Messiah. Look what he says. My Lord, an enduring house, because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days. Isn't that heavy? It's amazing, and yet the best is yet to come. What? When he falls with Bathsheba, remember in Second Samuel, chapter eleven and 12, 29. Yet a man has risen to pursue you and to seek your life. But the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. In the lives of your enemies, he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. Notice that. And it shall, and it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel, not to become king, that this will be no grief to you, nor offense of heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause, or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your main servant says, "Don't, don't forget about me. I'm here. And then David said to Abigail, blessed is the Lord God of Israel. Who sent you this day to meet me? Isn't that cool? He recognizes that somehow God's behind it. If God's not behind it, man, I would have killed you and probably your husband and everybody else. But she became like an intercessor here. It says, and blessed is your advice. Blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hands. For indeed, As the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had heard it and come to me, surely by morning light no males would have been left unless to Nabal. He would have killed the whole family. So David received from her hand what she had brought to him and said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See that I have listened to your voice and respected your person. And now Abigail went to Nabal and there he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. <laughs> this guy cracks me up, man. He's having a feast while his wife's gone. <laughs> and Nabal's heart was merry. he's a little drunk here within him for he was very drunk. He probably was boasting about everything. He says little much until morning. So it was in the morning when the wine had gone from Nabal and his wife had told him these things that his heart died within him. And he became like a stone. He had a heart attack. Imagine. You know what God's purpose is? I mean, he lets him drink all night long. You know, preparing like, hey, take your last drink because this is your last night. You know, preparing the way. And he became like a stone. Then it happened. After about 10 days. Imagine. He was in a coma probably. That the Lord struck Nabal and he died. This brings up something else, you guys. It really got spoke to my heart. There's an appointed time for a man to die. I don't care if they put you on oxygen or they give you chemo, whatever it is. We've talked about this. You know what? God's perfect timing. It's time, not your time. You can do everything to kind of, you know, to make it stronger, stretch it out, you know, and, and make it longer. I don't care what you stretch. God knows exactly when. You can do nothing. I can do nothing. He's in control of our lives. He's in control. He will do whatever he wants to do in our lives. Remember that. He's the only one that can do that. Ten days, he said. In verse 39, So when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord. (laughs) He's all happy. When he said to me, that's what I said about my enemies." Blessed be the Lord, who he knows who has pleased the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal. Now let me retract that. Be careful when you do that because it might come back to you. The proverb says that. (laughs) Don't boast about somebody dying and then it comes back to you. So and he says it has kept the servant from evil, for the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal in his own head. You reap and you sow, right? That's what he says. And David sent and proposed to Abigail to make him his wife. I'm glad he died. You come to me now. (laughs) David likewise, may I tell you that Solomon was even worse. Come to Abigail at Carmel. They spoke to her, saying, "David sent us to you to ask you to become his wife." She was probably blown away, and then she arose, bowed her face to the earth and said, here is your main servant, a servant to wash the feet of his servant, my Lord. So Abigail got up in a haste immediately and rode on a donkey, attended to five of her maidens, and she followed the messenger of David and became his wife. And David also took Ahinoam and Jezreel. And so both of them were his wives, and there's more still to come. And Saul, he said, I give him Michael, his daughter, David's wife, to Patali, the son of Laish, who was from Galen. Imagine, I mean, David starts out, I mean, I'm not putting David down, but I mean, David was one of the greatest persons I But David had his problems just like you and I. And because David had these problems that he had in his own life, think of how many more things God would have done in his life. But he kept himself from what God intended fully to do. Praise God that the Messiah came through him. But look at the heartache in chapter 11 and 12 of 2 Samuel when he falls with Bathsheba and he was going this way and all of a sudden man the rest of his life's like this. Like this. He can't recover. Aslam kills his brother, remember? I mean, his, his sister gets raped. I mean, go back and read all that happens and David's heart's broken but David realizes, you know what? It's because what I've done. We need to be careful and also to be conscious of what we done so we don't do it again. Learn from the first time. Don't be a fool the second time. Make sure you know what you're doing, you guys. Especially young pastors with young ministries here. Be careful, you guys. You're only beginning. You're only beginning. There's a long way to go. You know, you can say, I've been in ministry three years. Good for you, man. Wait till you get 40, 50 years. Then you'll know if you're really a minister or not. And still that 40, 50 years, David felt when he was older. It doesn't matter how old you are. You can be grandpa, Jose so you can fall. It happens all the time, you guys. So I just encourage you, man, and just keep your eyes on the Lord and keep praying. When you go sometime home, get on your face before the Lord, seriously. Not because I told you. But be by yourself. Get on your face. And don't speak. Let him speak. Let him speak. Listen. Listen to what God will say. You'll blow your minds. Father, thank you so much. For your grace, for your love, for your mercies, Lord God, we pray that the Holy Spirit will continue to move in us and through our lives, Father. Thank you for every person here, Jesus. Every pastor, Lord God, every leader, every helper. And, Lord God, for the Bible school, we thank you so much for what you're doing, God. through Larry, Father. And, Lord, we pray that uh, you just continue to be with my wife, Father, with my children, with myself, Lord. And, Lord, we give you all the praise and all the glory, Lord, for everything that you're doing, God. And, Lord, we are not sad, Father, but we are joyous, Father, because we know that you have your perfect, perfect will in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, God. Amen.